Life with diabetes has some highs and lows, but just like in a normal life, you can make choices which help to make your life easier, improve your health and well-being. In the Diabetic and Healthy podcast, we show you how to do just that. We're here to help you put your diabetes worries behind so that you can start enjoying life with a sky-high smile on your face. So let's meet our host for today's show. Here's Charlotte. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Diabetic and Healthy podcast. So, it is Christmas on Friday. Mm, I'm still not feeling (laughs) Christmassy. Is it just me? (laughs) I'd love to know how everyone else is feeling. It's been such a strange year, and I'm normally... I I am normally a really, really Christmassy person, but this year it's almost like, I don't know, I don't don't even know, it's like I don't have the headspace for Christmas, it's a bit weird, Every, every time any of my friends start talking about Christmas, I'm just like, oh, don't, I still feel like it should still be a few months away, but it's on Friday, anyway, I do hope whatever you are doing, I know it's been a strange year, but I do hope everybody who um everybody who celebrates christmas has a fantastic one this year um if you don't celebrate christmas i hope you have a fantastic um time with friends or family or whatever you're doing over christmas period whatever we're allowed to do over christmas period see this is also bizarre isn't it normally i would just say merry christmas have a great christmas but anyway there you have it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll stop waffling on. Uh, this week I have an incredible Your Stories episode for you. So I speak to an amazing lady called Nicole. Um, Nicole lives in California. So we've got another another type one across the pond that I'm talking to. And she is uh, by anybody's standards she is absolutely inspirational she really really is I don't want to tell you too much because I want um I want you to hear hear Nicole tell her story but she has had she certainly had a very very tough time but still remains massively positive um uh Nicole was diagnosed type 1 many years ago now but she about 18 months ago she had a kidney um a kidney pancreas transplant so she is no longer on insulin um oh her story is just amazing so I'm gonna let her tell it um but just before we get started I will do a quick reminder about social media um diabetic and healthy has a facebook page and it has two facebook groups so there's diabetic and healthy community and also type one fit so please do check those groups out join the groups and um yeah lots of lots of like-minded people to chat to in there also diabetic and healthy is on instagram it's diabetic underscore and underscore healthy and of course, a podcast that you are currently listening to that has now been nearly going a year. Um, yeah, please, if you're enjoying the podcast, please do hit subscribe, um, leave a review and also drop me an email if you've got any um, any feedback, any thoughts or ideas for me. Okay, without further ado, this is me talking to Nicole and her telling her amazing story. 
Hi, Nicole. Hi. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so, so much for agreeing to come on today and share your story. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I think um, you're a really kind of inspirational person on especially you know I found you on Instagram and just your story is incredible so I absolutely love that you are happy to share it with us today yeah thank you so if you don't mind let's start at the beginning so I suppose the beginning is your type 1 diagnosis sure um, so I was diagnosed when I was 17 two days after my 17th birthday um, which was about 20 years ago or, you know, so diabetes care then looked a lot different than it mm, looks now. Yeah, yeah. That was not in my favor back then, but, um, so I was diagnosed at 17 and kind of given, you know, uh, insulin and a syringe and told, well, you have to take shots for the rest of your life and you have to. You know, because I was so afraid of like taking a shot. I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, I want to be the type that doesn't have to take shots. And they're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. pancreas doesn't make insulin. That's not the type that you are. Um, so I was like, okay. And Wait, were you really ill before your diagnosis or was it quite a quick thing? So, you know, interestingly enough, I have a cousin um, who I'm not really close to because she lives, you know, across the United States, but she's type one. And so I started showing the symptoms I remember when in high school, I was really thirsty and I kept telling my best friend and she remembers this to this day. I said, I'm so thirsty. I feel like I'm in a desert and I just, I, I'm, I'm so thirsty. And I was drinking Coca-Cola. I was oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. I, and I was down it and it was like, and then I was urinating a lot and, and, and everyone's like, well, maybe you have a bladder infection. I said, there's something wrong with me. I just, and then I thought, okay, well, if I stop, if I just stop drinking, then I'll stop peeing. So those yeah. were the two symptoms that I was having. I don't think my, my parents knew, but my family, my, my, I'm sorry, my family didn't know about those symptoms, but my friend did. Um, I did wet my bed, which I remember wetting my bed and then just being like crying. Cause I didn't yeah, understand. Being like mortified for 17. And, you know, taking off all my sheets and putting them, trying to put them into the washer. And my mom woke up. She's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I, I peed in my bed. I don't know. And she's like, it's okay. But I don't think it even clicked then. Mm -hmm. um, I was an athlete. So I was playing water polo. I was on the swim team and one season went right into the next. So it was literally like you get up at 5 a.m., you swim, you go to school, then after school you swim. So I was tired a lot, right? Yeah. yeah. I'm having these classic symptoms, the yeah. urinating, you know, the thirst, being tired, but my mom, my parents, they're just like, oh, well, she's has a lot You're going busy. On. You're going to be tired. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then I think that, so the fourth symptom I had was, um, I lost weight hmm. and as like a junior in 11th grade of high school, I came out in pants that I had from like eighth grade. I'm like, look, mom, these fit me. And she was like, oh, she, and then she's like, I think we need to get you tested for diabetes. I'm like, diabetes. What is that? I don't have that. Yeah. Um, and they took me and sure enough, my blood sugar, my fasting sugar was like three or 400. And the doctor at the time was like, well, you have diabetes, but I don't know what type you are. And because I was 17. So I think with the age, you know, even mm -hmm. back then they yeah, were like, they weren't that sure. Yeah. So I said to my mom, take me to someone who knows. Mm -hmm. And they took me and, um, to, a, to my first endocrinologist. He's like, you have type one diabetes you know, we need to start you on insulin like immediately. So I was fortunate. I didn't go into a coma or mm -hmm. anything like that, but had my mom not known about my cousin, 
I think I would have, it would have got really bad. Yeah. Yeah. It would have gone on longer. Yeah. So, um, from there, you know, the first two years, I think I tried to be like very compliant and listen to my doctor and count carbs. And I really did kind of have the attitude of like, okay, I'm going to do this. Hmm. And I didn't understand why I could, they said, just take insulin. You could eat whatever you want. I'm like, okay, I can eat whatever I want. This is not that bad. Well, why I didn't understand why can I not eat a Snickers bar, you know, and bolus for 56 grams of carbs and my blood sugars, it, it was still like 300, 350. Mm. And so I kept having these experiences where they're like, eat whatever you want. And my blood sugar was going high and my, my doctor was kind of getting angry or he appeared just annoyed with me. Mm. And I think he was assuming I like wasn't counting carbs or who knows what was going through his mind. Um, and you know, he, he was just kind of like, what are you doing? And I'm just like, I, I said, this is impossible. And he's like, your blood sugar needs to be like 120. And I'm very literal. Even today, I'm like a very literal person. So there was no Instagram. There was no social media. I didn't have access to my cousin. I didn't know there was no Dexcom. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that your blood sugar goes up and down. My doctor said, you need to be 120. They said, eat whatever you want. You'll be fine. And to be honest, at that age, it was so difficult that I just gave up. Mm. After about two years, I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Mm. Um, I... I just, I didn't feel supported by my family. I didn't feel supported by my doctor. I didn't know anyone. But it's um, like the way it was presented to you, they were, oh, they yeah. were giving you an impossible task. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, eat what you want, but your blood sugar has to be this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, looking back, I always tell people, you know, there was a lot of things that, you know, happened, but I don't blame him. You know, this is just, this is just my story. I think everything happens for a reason. So this was going to unfold how it unfolded, no matter who my parents were or who my doctors were, or this was just how it was going to be for me. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. Um, and I think the, the other thing that started happening for me about two years in was I was really afraid of going low because I thought I was going to die in the night. Mm -hmm. And so it was a combination of not being supported, having like extreme anxiety about being afraid to go to sleep, um, not having the tools you know, basically without a continuous glucose monitor, we're, we're blind. Like we mm -hmm. can't see what's going on. Um, I just kind of went into the spiral that lasted for many, many years. And um, what did that, what did that look like? Like, were you not injecting? Were, were you injecting just enough to, to keep you alive? Like, you know, how did it look to you? Um, well, so I was on injections for the first two years and then they talked me into getting a pump and I, I never took shots in my stomach. I don't know why I was like afraid or I just, that grossed me out. So um, I would use like my thigh. And I remember meeting a woman at my doctor's office and she used like the top part of her butt for her um, site for the pump. And when I saw that, I thought, Oh, I'll just, I'll use the top part of my butt. And because I didn't have to use my stomach mentally, I was like, okay. So I got on the pump and I would just run, you know, a the basal rate, um, you know, I didn't know how to use the pump. There was, it was just, it was so, it was just so messed up, like all of it. You know what I mean? Like, and I think mentally too, what was happening. Um, and I think that this verbiage is really important for people listening. It wasn't that I was a bad diabetic. It wasn't that I, I mean, I was non-compliant, but not because I was bad. It was because I was using denial to cope. Yeah. Denial to cope with a lifelong illness that I was not supported in. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. um, 
so yeah, so I would wear the pump. I would just take a little bit of insulin. Um, and I wouldn't go to the doctor until they would say, we're not going to give you insulin until you come in. So I'd go like once a year. I did go to the eye doctor once a year. Cause I, I always wanted to make sure my eyes were okay mm-hmm. and yeah. nothing was happening. So in my mind, I thought like, well, I'm doing okay. Yeah, like, <laughs> This yeah, is working. And then, you know, I was younger, but like I was getting, then I like the years were going on and still nothing was happening. So I was like, you know, maybe, you know, you just kind of think you're invincible. Hmm. Did you and have I, a CGM at that point? Could you see what it no. was doing or oh, no finger have, prick? They didn't even have CGMs back then. Mm. No, I mean, fast forward, I did. But before we fast forward to that, when that happened, um, you know, what ended up happening before that was I started getting all these complications. Mm-hmm. And so um, I had been diagnosed with um, like some mild neuropathy from my knees to my feet. Um, and I, it didn't really affect me that much. Like it wasn't super painful, but there was like some sensation issues or whatever. It's since progressively gotten mm-hmm. worse over the years. I was diagnosed with gastroparesis. Um, I then, you know, years I'm, let's see, it was, I was 17. So in 2015, I was diagnosed with, um, severe diabetic macular edema, uh, in my eyes and severe diabetic proliferative retinopathy. So basically end stage eye disease. Were you having like, were you having disturbances in your vision or anything, or was it literally, they just picked it up at your eye check? Well, like I said, I, I definitely wasn't seeing my endo. Like if I could get away Mm -hmm. with not seeing him, I wouldn't. Um, but with my eyes, I did go once a year and they were always like, it's fine. Your eyes are fine. We don't see anything. And then I remember my eye doctor retired. There was another woman who was, um, taking over and she had a heavy accent and she literally looked at me for a second, kind of went back and just kind of started freaking out. It was very unprofessional. Wow. You're, you're, you're bleeding. And she had this accent. I couldn't really understand. I'm like, well, I'm bleeding your, your eyes. They're they're bleeding. I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't even really, I, I just, she's like, you're, you have diabetes behind your eye. They're bleeding and we can't help you. And she oh, started wow. the name of somebody and I was like, okay. And so I, I told my parents and my dad who has another genetic, you know, eye condition was like, you're not going to see that doctor. You're going to go down to UCLA in Los Angeles and see my doctor. And that's when that he diagnosed me. And I said, okay, well, and, and so, yeah, it, I wasn't, I'm trying, I, I was having a little bit of distance, like vision, mm-hmm. like it was a little blurry. So I thought, mm-hmm. oh, I just Glasses. glasses or yeah 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 but I wasn't I didn't have and I wasn't seeing anything until you know I got the diagnosis and we started some treatments and stuff um but yeah I, I, I said well can you fix it because I think that a lot of times we think like oh well there's a pill for that or there's yeah, yeah. Something just that's fix good. it yeah he's like well we can do lasers and injections I'm like okay like when I'm asleep and he's like no when you're awake I'm like, you want it? So you put a needle like in my eye. And he said, yeah. So to date from 2015 to 2020, I've had like 40,000 laser burns between both eyes and probably like 50 injections. Wow. I've had two retractomies. So, um, I, I did start hemorrhaging and it was probably that same year where I was, um, out, I was at a, a friend's house for dinner and we were in like a tent outside. And so it was like dim light mm-hmm. and I started seeing, it looked like a flea 
and I was kind of looking and my friend's like, what are you looking at? I'm like, I don't know. There's like something flying around. And he like looked, he's like, there's nothing there. And then, then, and then I realized it was in my field of vision. And mm-hmm. so what was happening was it was, that was blood. Yeah. Um, and so, and I would get flashing. And so just, just kind of a crazy story. Um, ended up with some central vision loss in my left eye. Those vitrectomies made it, when you have vitrectomies, you end up with cataracts. So I have progressive cataracts, which I'm having my first cataract surgery next week. But, you know, um, they saved my vision. I, at first, I was just like, I'm going to go blind. Hmm. I, I remember you were absolutely terrified. I think oh, for me, the one thing I've always worried about the most is my sight. Yeah. I mean, because I was like, how could you be a blind diabetic? And, and remember, like my entire like diabetes life career, nobody was giving me injections. Mm-hmm. No one had ever, no one had done anything. No one knew how to do my pump or, so I was just like, oh my God, like, and I was, you know, I was single. I'm like, how will I date? Like, mm-hmm. how will I drive? Like my independence was very important. And I think for that first like week, I just was, hyster- I was hysterically crying just in this mind, this, a very negative mind space, mm-hmm. you know, um, those lasers, they feel like if, you know, you have tattoos, they feel like you're getting a tattoo on your eyeball. Wow. And I was just like, I, I don't, I don't know if I can do this, but mm. I just kept going back. And I just, you know, I had someone message me on Instagram recently about being afraid to do the laser. I'm like, you have to do it. Yeah. If you're at that point where you need laser and you have proliferative retinopathy, which is different than just retinopathy, you can have complications that are not advanced stages and Mm. live the rest of your life and be totally fine. Mm. Um, But that was not the case for me. I was just like, just, just do whatever they say, go to the doctor. It's better to know than not know because they can help you. You know, you don't want to have 40,000 laser burns on your Mm. eye, you know, which scars the eye and, um, you know, put me at risk for a retinal detachment, which was why I had to have the vitrectomies. But, but yeah, I was very afraid. Um, but I had a great team at UCLA and they really saved my vision. I, I just, I love those guys down there so much. And I, and I got into the space where I just, I would say I can see even in the times where they did things to me and I couldn't see for 24 yeah. hours or yeah. two weeks or whatever, I would just constantly, I, I have a mala. And so I would just do positive affirmations and I would just keep telling myself, I can see, you know, I'm okay. Like, and I know some people may be listening and they're probably like, oh yeah, that's some BS. I, I do think my mindset was also part of why I did not go blind. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I think it's why I'm still alive today. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and it, yeah, that, that same year. So that was when I was diagnosed with the eye disease and um, kidney disease. My kidney disease was diagnosed at stage three. So it's like 50% function. And again, were you having like symptoms for that or was that just blood tests? No, there's no, um, there is no symptoms for the beginning stages of kidney disease. None. It's silent and that's why it's so dangerous. And it's another reason why we have to go to the doctor. Hmm. You know, you need to go to the doctor. Um, And so when my eye, when I was getting, when I, in 2015, when I was seeing my eye doctor, that was when I started to really kind of wake up and think like, okay, I don't want to go blind. I really want to work on my diabetes. And so I started going to my endo and I started checking my blood sugar. I got Dexcom at that time. Mm -hmm. I could really see the relationship with food and, you know, I was measuring things. I, that, that anxiety that I had about dying in the night, 
it pretty much was gone. Hmm. And in those other things to think about, like, well, it was just the mindset. It was, it was, it was this, like, I'm going to take care of this. I'm not going down like this. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it was from just having denial around the disease to coming into acceptance. And when I accepted my diabetes and it was, and I made it more of my friend and not my enemy, I could deal with it. You know, if I had just done, if I had mentally been in the space where I I was doing the things that I was supposed to do from the beginning, then I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, So it was, it was a lot of, it was a lot of things. It was, you know, going to therapy and talking to somebody, talking about feeling worthy, you know, when you feel worthy, when you have self-love, when you have, you know, self-esteem, then you take care of yourself. Yeah. You deserve to look after yourself. Yeah. So when those things are, are lacking, right. Which we, this is like a whole nother topic, but you know, from a psychological perspective, self-esteem and that's, that's your trauma from the past, how you're raised. There's a lot of things that go into how we feel about ourselves. Mm -hmm. Right there's like a whole psychological perspective about that and chronic illnesses. And so I don't want to like get too sidetracked, but um, we'll do another episode on that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you can come back. <laughs> right. Well, and, and I think it's also important to say too, is that like besides for the diabetes and like all these complications, I was getting diagnosed with other autoimmune diseases. I ended up with oh. celiac disease with fibromyalgia with psoriasis. So, um, you know, it just became like this whole like juggling act mm. and, um, it was hard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was really hard. Um, and so I, did you st- have support once you were at that stage? Did you have good friends? Did you have, you know, I, th- I have friends that don't have chronic illness mm. and they love me, but I don't think that they are really able to be supportive other than just like listening. Yeah. No, like it's, yeah. I don't know. It's a hard to... thing to understand if you've not, yeah. not been there. Yeah. Um, you know, my mom, I let her follow me on Dexcom, which was huge. Cause I know a lot of people are like, I don't want to follow her. Cause they probably, maybe people feel judged, mm-hmm. but she, she, you know, all those years growing up wasn't really you know, proactive in my care. I was doing it myself, going to doctors by myself, like every, every decision health-wise I was making by myself. Um, so having her as a follower, I felt like we were kind of working as a team. Yeah. That is a really big deal. That is like a really big, I've always had a thing that, uh, especially when I was just doing finger pricks, if I was around a friend, I'd almost like, like block it. So they couldn't see my, my blood sugars, I had a real issue and probably still do, to be honest, about people looking at it. And again, it is that you think, don't judge my number. Like you don't understand. Yeah, no, I think because my complications were so like, like advanced, it was even more important for me to get control. So my, my A1C was like 12 to 15%, you know, and that's the other thing that for people to understand my blood sugars were like three to 500 every day for years. Mm. Right. Um, and so potentially you must've been exhausted. I was, but I got used to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not till you feel better. And then you're like, Oh, (laughs) and, and and I had one, I had to have um, my gallbladder removed. It just one in 10 Americans have to get it out. So, but that surgeon was, he saw my blood sugars and he was like, Whoa, he's like, who's your doctor? He's like, 
what, why are you blushing? He was the only one that was really like questioning anything. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I gave you like five years to live. Like you, you, you can't live like this, you know? Um, so I forget why I just brought that up. Probably because he was one of the only oh, ones. Oh, your, um, we're talking about support. your mom was linked to your, was following your Dexcom. Right. And so I, so I made boundaries with her where I would tell her like, cause she would say double up arrows or arrows going down. And that was giving me anxiety. So I just <laughs> said, like, just ask me, are you, if I'm low, say if I'm like 60 or whatever, we have our numbers, mm -hmm. you can text me and say, are you okay? Keeping in mind, I was working, you know, yeah. Yeah. um, I was a counselor, so I couldn't, I didn't always have access to my phone to be like, yes, mommy, I'm okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then same thing at night, if I was, if I hit 220 for any reason, um, in, in the night she would call me and wake me up and I would push insulin. Like we were working as a team and she was very supportive. And she said to me, she said, you know, I, I didn't know, I didn't really know diabetes was this hard mm -hmm. when she saw the blood sugars, when she, and that's the kind of a gift that Dexcom gave to us was this awareness, me being able to not be anxious and be able to really take, take I don't like to say control, but really manage my disease. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a thing. So my A1C was like 12 to 15% before Dexcom. And then when I really started my healing journey and really taking care of my diabetes, it was like 6.3% with an average Amazing. of like 75 to 80% in range. And that was for five years before my transplant. And that's, it's important for me because I worked really hard I worked hard, you know, to get to that point. And, yeah. and I think that sometimes people just see me as like the sick diabetic or the girl with all the complications or the one that didn't take care of herself. And, and that's like, I, I, I learned a lot, mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah. you know, I really did. So and the um, other thing it's not for anyone to judge, like it is not for anyone to judge and everyone's and especially since doing this and talking to different people, like everyone's story is so, so different and everyone has reacted to their diagnosis so differently. Like you, it's such a big deal. Like you can't, you can't judge anyone for how they, how they react to it. Well, because we're all, we all, when, when you have something and then you don't, rather it's your health, it could be your hair, you know, like it can be anything when you have something and then you don't, you go through a grieving process. Mm -hmm. And I think that for me, I was in those, the, the cycle of grief, you know, the, the anger and the denial that was all, gr I was grieving mm -hmm. and you're right. Like you can't judge that. If, if you, someone close to you passed away and five years, 10 years later, you were still like really struggling. I wouldn't say like, well, you should just get over it. Get over or, it now. Yeah. What's wrong with you? That's what people, I had diabetics saying that to me, you know, doctors. Um, and so for the most part, I was just very quiet mm. about, you know, like my friends and family, when I wasn't taking care of myself, they had no idea because I look healthy. Yeah. And that's their thing. Like even all these complications later, mm. um, yeah, I you look, look great. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You know, I look healthy. And so it's very people, it's kind of like, you don't believe it, mm. you know? Um, so, so yeah, I, I did everything that I could in 2015, working with all those doctors. Um, you know, I also used to smoke cigarettes, which I, 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 I don't talk about a lot, but I do bring it up. Like it's part of my story. Like mm -hmm. I smoked cigarettes for 10 years. I've said like I had anxiety. I used nicotine to manage my anxiety, you know? Um, mm -hmm. It's just like people that use drugs or alcohol that are mm -hmm. addicted 
they've had some kind of trauma and they use that. I was using nicotine and you know, my eye doctor was like, we're doing all this work on your eyes. He's like, it's just going to damage all the vessels. And so I quit cold Turkey. I quit smoking in 2015, never looked back. Um, and I, I literally, the person that I was then, I don't even know who that person was. And, you know, like I just, I'm not a different mindset. Yeah. From how I managed my diabetes to how I looked at life, all of that. Um, and you know, I ended up needing, uh, I ended up on dialysis in 2000, was it 2017? No, 2018. So I ended up with full blown kidney failure. Um, Mm -hmm. and and also keeping in mind that was my blood sugars were then under control and I mm-hmm. was on, on a diet to try to preserve what kidney function that I had left. But unfortunately I talked about complex previously. What was that? Like the damage had been done previously, yeah. even though. Well, you, it's, you yeah. And it's kind of like the analogy that I like to use so people can understand a little bit better. It's kind of like skin cancer, right? Like in the eighties, nobody was putting, you know, sunscreen yeah. on me. Nineties like you're out there swimming. You're just you're baby oil. <laughs> I actually, I didn't use oil, but I did do some tanning beds in my twenties, but, um, but you know, it's like, you don't realize how important it is just to put sunscreen on. Like you may not realize how important it is just to check your blood sugar and to take insulin and just for your future. And so with skin cancer, right, you can have damage 20 years ago and not see the effects until 20 years later. And so with a lot of my complications, that's what happened. Um, so I ended up on dialysis for a year. Um, and I needed a kidney transplant to live the life expectancy on, on hemodialysis is five to 10 years. Uh, and in the United States, specifically in California, where I live for a kidney only transplant, it's a, it's a 10 year, eight to 10 year wait, which your blood type and other things go into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so my doctor started talking to me about a kidney pancreas transplant and, my endocrinologist, who's also a type one diabetic, I said, well, what do you think? Like, what should I do? There's, it can be more dangerous. They don't know a lot about it. He said, honestly, Nicole, I wouldn't want you to do it any other way. You know, all my doctors were so on board. They were so supportive. They're like, we really want to see you do this because it can help your quality of life. Hopefully it, you know, your complications may get better, but at the very least, they're just going to stay the same and it won't keep rolling, Mm -hmm. you know? Cause it was just like at this point where like, it, we just, it's just progressing. And, yeah. Um, so on April 30th of 2019, um, I got the, I got a call, I got a couple calls that didn't work. Cause that's just kind of how transplant is. But, um, so April 30th of 2019, I got a call and I did have a kidney pancreas transplant. So I'm, I'm about a year and a half out and I, I, I love, I love life. I think of my donor every day. Um, and I just have these perspectives about health, about well-being, about life, like about coping that if I hadn't gone through all this, I just, I wouldn't be as good of, of a, not a good person, but I wouldn't have healed. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I wouldn't, I, I think before I was just kind of walking around, but not very, like not very present, mm-hmm. you know, like not, and now I'm just like, I feel so alive and I feel so good. Um, and I just feel so grateful. So I, I, you know, part of, part of what my purpose is, is to be of service. 
and to give back to diabetics that are struggling or not. I mean, I think that the longer you have diabetes, you know, the more likely you're going to have burnout. So you're going to have burnout at some point in your life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just like to show up for those people. Um, and I also, you know, I, I'm, pretty heavily connected with the transplant community. Like I was sharing with you, you know, yeah, there's yeah. been other people that have had kidney pancreases. So it's definitely one of the, it's more rare, um, but there's people out there. So, so yeah. Amazing. Like yeah. you're, you're such a like smiley positive, like just the way you speak about everything is so positive. And like you were saying about, you think your mindset has, has yeah. made such a difference in, in turn of it, like for your physical healing your mindset has done so much and you can tell that like you can you could be just sat feeling sorry for yourself and saying oh I've been through this and I've been through this and I've been through this and it's the, just the way you speak about it is completely different so I yeah. think you're amazing thank you well you know I, I tell people all the time it's like because there's a lot of people that are angry and there's a lot of people that you know they're angry about their disease but it's like the more energetically like the more angry we are like we're just we're it lowers the immune system mm -hmm. it really does and it makes things more challenging um and it prevents us from getting to that place of being okay but if you don't have the awareness you can't get to the acceptance mm -hmm. and so i just like i said you know i was in denial you you know um, but yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And I was thinking actually the other night, just randomly, I'm like, I used to be pre, I used to be negative, you know, like if something was wrong, it was just like, oh my God, like, you know, just like dramatic. And, yeah. and I was just thinking about, you know, there's other people on Instagram that I've met that are also like very positive and I've talked to them before. They were also like very negative in the past. Mm -hmm this, this is something that you, you heal, you like, you heal, you work, you work up to this point. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that every day is rainbow stars and fairies for me. Like I have bad days. Um, and someone had said to me recently, well, what do you do when you wake up having a bad day? I don't ever wake up having a bad day, but there may be something that happens in the day. That's like frustrating for me that I have to handle or whatever, but I, I always get it done. You know, mm -hmm. as long as I'm breathing, then that means I have a chance to just be here and experience things. And I want that you know? And so, and I want other people to have that too. Like treatment wise for you now, are you on medication? Are you, you know, is there a kind of ongoing treatment plan? Um, so as far as my, and that's a good question. Cause a lot of people are like, do you take insulin? So as soon as I transplanted, um, before I went into surgery, I took off my insulin pump. I took off my CEGM. And then when I woke up, I started urinating. Cause when you have kidney failure, you, you after at some point you stop urinating. Mm -hmm. So I was making urine and I didn't need insulin. The new pancreas, you know, woke up. It was, it was producing insulin for me. Um, so I, I, I do have to take anti-rejection meds for the rest of my life. And the reason why is because if my body, if my immune system isn't like very, very suppressed and very, very low, my body will wake up and see those two to organs that aren't mine. It'll be like, Hey, like, what is that? And it will What's tap that stranger doing in here. <laughs> yeah. Like that doesn't belong here. I'm going to get rid of that. Um, so the anti-rejection drugs make me severely immunosuppressed, which is why the quarantine, um, mm -hmm. I've been, you know, not really out. <laughs> 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 you know? Um, so yeah, so those are for life. Um, 
I'm, I'm probably on 20 different things. Um, Anti-rejection wise, there's three main drugs, but then there's other medications that I need. Um, I also have to supplement things like calcium or magnesium, folate. Um, I'm, I'm a vegetarian and I decided to become a vegetarian in 2015 because the kidneys, you know, as far as like meat and certain things, it's harder for them to process it. And I really wanted to try to give my kidneys a chance. Yeah. And my, di my doctor was like, yeah, the best kind of diet is a vegetarian diet. There's some nephrologists that will be like, yeah, you can eat a little bit of meat. But so I did that. Um, and then just with my own research with vegetarian and vegan diets, I was like, you know what, these diets in my, from what I found, they're so preventative and they're so healthy. Mm -hmm. I stayed on it. And then I also, um, you know, from an ethical standpoint in regards to the animals, I also wanted to do it for that because mm -hmm. I'm very, you know, cognizant of what I'm putting into my body energetically. Right. So, um, so yeah, so I just, you know, I exercise, I try to eat, eat right. They were talking, my doctor, one of my doctors was talking about my good cholesterol. He's like, wow. He's like, he's like, for a woman, like I've never, this is, he's like, you'll probably never have coronary artery disease. I'm like, good. You know, <laughs> women, you know, women with, you know, type one diabetics, people, women, like the, we're at an increased risk for, you know, heart disease. A lot of people think that, you know, men are the ones having heart attacks, but women, like we have to be careful. We have to watch our hearts. And I was so fortunate that I ended up with every single diabetes complication minus the heart disease. But not so that one. <laughs> very lucky. I'm like, how's my heart? And I'm like, yeah. looking at you know, as they were testing, you know, doing my screening me for transplant, because for transplant, you know, people also, you have to keep in mind, you have to be for the people that think that I'm not healthy. You have to be physically healthy enough to be able to receive the transplant. Mm -hmm. Right. And you also have to go through a psych evaluation. All transplant recipients have to mentally, you know, be Prepare themselves and what, yeah, they have, they have to screen you and say like, okay, she, she'll be able to handle this. Mm -hmm. No matter what happens, if she gains a hundred pounds or she goes bald because of these meds we're going to put her on. So she doesn't lose her organs that she's going to keep taking those meds no matter what, mm -hmm. you know, this is, thank God I was able to get to the place where I could be compliant with my diabetes and I could take my health seriously because if I had not if I had, if they had just given me a new, new organs with the mindset I was mm. like when I wasn't taking care of myself, I wouldn't be a good transplant recipient, mm. you know? And people, I think also think like, Oh, people that have had transplants that they're still going out, they're still doing things that they shouldn't be doing. They're missing, you know, sometimes they miss their meds or they they're out there drinking or they're not eating healthy or they're not exercising. Like for our well-being, like there are things that as far as I'm concerned, they should be mandatory. Mm. You know, it, it's not about just treating the body. It's about treating the mind, body and the soul. Like that's how we become complete is when we put all these things into balance. Right. It, it, it's about the balance. Diabetes is about the balance. Life is about the balance. Mm -hmm. And the more we can strive to be fully, you know, balanced, the more complete and the happier we'll be. You know, like I had said, I'm not happy because I don't have diabetes anymore. I have plenty of diseases and things going on. I'm happy because I choose to be happy. I choose to keep going, you know. Amazing. Like, <laughs> you really are. You must be, like, really inspiring so many people. I'm not sure, but if I am, I'm happy. You know, oh, I, I know. just... You are. I, you are. I just want people to know that, 
you know, what I was, I remember I had met, actually she was a stranger and I, I was sharing something with her and we were both kind of like having a moment and she wrote something down. It was a quote and it said, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. And I still have it somewhere. It's on like a little piece of paper. I think it's anonymous. I'm not sure who said it. I think she even wrote anonymous, but I do think that that's true, mm. you know? Um, and 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 with you know when I think about my vision and the things that could still go wrong, I just think like I'm making memories now. When I go out hiking, I absorb all of it. I don't even like sometimes I'm not. Oh even yeah, so this is we, this was a conversation we were having before recording. But you you, you love going out hiking now? Yeah, I love hiking. And I and you know it's funny because so I have autonomic neuropathy where it's. Um, it affects the vagus nerve, which is in the brain. And so I was having, I was getting really dizzy mm. and my blood pressure was like severely low, like 70 over 40. Like you can't have low blood pressure like that. So now I'm on a medicine for it and post transplant, it's gotten better. But I really was at this place where my complications got so bad. I couldn't exercise. Mm. Um, but yeah, I hike now I walk almost every other day. I do yoga. There's a, um, online, my friend does yoga. It's like with, um, diabetics. So once a week I was doing yoga with the diabetic community, but exercise, like I love it. And I didn't, I didn't used to like it, you know, <laughs> all these things, like I didn't used to eat healthy. Like I didn't, it was just a learning process. I had probably to- never had, never even had the energy, even if you wanted to, like yeah, it was well, probably a long time where. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely was tired. Um, I remember I had ended up in the hospital with ketoacidosis and they were like, you can't go home until your blood sugar is 100. I'm thinking, here's these people with their 100s and their 120s. And their 120s, yeah. <laughs> you can't have blood sugars 300, 400, 500, and then be 100. I was started getting hypoglycemic. Mm-hmm. And I was like crying. I'm like, please, I want to go home and call my doctor. And the, and he was like, yeah, you know, let, if she hits, you know, 200, let, please yeah. let her go because yeah. you can't, you know, that had, when you, when you're so used to high blood sugars, you have to slowly yeah. get them. Going. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that when I, um, so with my diagnosis, I was already in ketoacidosis. Okay. Um, when, when I found out, so I went into hospital, I was still conscious, but my blood sugar was over 40, which I think is about 700 in your measurements. Okay. Um, and they, they dropped it, it that night in hospital. They dropped it to four, which is, I'm not sure what that would be for you, but that is like the line of, of, of going to low anyway. That's like the, it, it, it's good for someone if they're, if they're not diabetic for, you know, perfect. But when they dropped it from 40 to four, I was like fitting and, and the nurse comes in, oh no, no, like your blood sugar's fine. And I'm like, not for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> and it's, it is frightening that there's still, uh, there's still a lot that isn't understood in places that it, it really should be. Yeah. And I don't know how the hospitals are there, but here I literally, my mom, anytime I ended up in the hospital, I had to, I was like, mom, you're, she would be there. She mm-hmm. was sleeping there because I was on a pump and they don't know how to work the pump. Mm-hmm. One time they tried to give me insulin while I was connected to my pump. They weren't, mm-hmm. it was just, it's, I've had, that would be also another episode, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. hospital visits and what like medical professionals don't know. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. and I was, I was given a, a hot chocolate at that point. Okay. 
why not you know <laughs> yeah well this has been awesome <laughs> thank you so 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 much um but one last thing i wanted to cover is just for everyone to know you're also like a super busy person now I am. So, uh, <laughs> so why, after my transplant, um, my surgeon said, well, now that you're not on dialysis, you're going to have all this time, you know, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. I think I was in shock. Um, you know, previous to this for over, for about like 19, 20 years, I worked with children with autism and related disorders doing behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So I would go into their homes and, get to play with them, but also do therapy, which was fun. And then for another 10 years, I worked as a drug and alcohol counselor. So for people that, you know, had addictions Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I started thinking like, I, I, I love like the medical piece of this and I have so much personal knowledge. I just want to keep learning. So six months after my transplant about, so about a year ago, I went back to school So I'm a full-time student at Cal State Channel Islands, and I switched my major, you know, my background from psychology to um, health science. So um, it's- Makes sense. (laughs) But but I think what people don't don't get, they're like, oh, well, you're so smart. You'll be fine. And you know how there's some people where things are so easy for them? Yeah. Yeah. Alexa's telling me to drink water. I love it. (laughs) Um, You know, I was, I always struggled in school. Um, and so, sorry, I always struggled (laughs) in school. And so, um, I was really, and especially being 36 years old last year, now I'm 37 going back to school for something that I, you know, science, which I don't have a science brain. I mean, it was kind of like, even my family was like, well, are you setting yourself up for failure? Like, are you able to do this? Um, so I, I, yeah, so I just finished my first year at, at Cal State Channel Islands and I'll be a senior next semester. So I have one more year to go and then I'll have a bachelor's degree in health science. So, um, yeah, so that and hiking and making jewelry and hanging out with my little dog and, you know, just taking it one day at a time, um, you know, acknowledging that I'm, that I'm very, um, fortunate for just the way that everything turned out and, um, just looking forward to connecting to people and, and helping as much as I can. So. Oh, well, thank you so, so much again. It's been amazing having you on. I would absolutely love for you to come back on. Cause I feel like we could actually talk for hours and go off on lots of tangents and talk about yeah. different things. So yeah. yeah, if you would like to, I would absolutely love to, to talk to you again on the podcast. Yeah, I would love to. And thank you so much for having me. You are so welcome. Right. Thank you. Well, look after yourself and that little doggy of yours, which I saw occasionally in the background. <laughs> she's sleeping. That's oh, what she did. Sleep. She sleeps. She'll be 14 this year. So oh. she's been through a lot with me. She's been kind of like my little saving grace. So just loving her, you know, for the, the days or years that we have left for sure. So oh, she's a little old lady. <laughs> Then once I get up in the morning, I'm like, get up. Like, <laughs> child, I don't know. I'm like, get up. <laughs> Love so. Right. Thank you so much again. And take care. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Wow. How lovely is Nicole? <laughs> what a lovely person. And just, oh, I think I'm just blown away by she's, She's been through so much, had such a tough time and she still remains so, so positive. And I think there's 
there's a lot to learn from people like that (laughs) I think um yeah wow lovely lovely person and such such an inspiring story um Nick's Instagram is um is is an awesome account is really honest she shares on there all about her story and her journey um so please do go and check her out if you want to follow her story. So her Instagram is Nick Gets Real. So it's N-I-C Gets Real. Uh, thank you so much for listening as always and have a fantastic Christmas. And until next time, stay safe and stay healthy. This episode has ended, but your journey towards a healthy and happy life continues. Head on over to diabeticandhealthy.com and join the conversation with other diabetics and their families. All the information in this episode is not designed to replace the advice from the health professional team looking after you and your diabetes. Before making any significant lifestyle changes, do consult them with your doctor.